I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What? Yeah. We got you some funky music show. Why not? Why not be funky of a Wednesday, ladies and gentlemen? I ask you... What a show we have coming up for you today. We investigate the runner's high. Is it true? Is it true or is it absolute bullshit? And can anyone get it? Find out coming up on the show. We've also got how to make the most beautiful coffee for yourself at home from the person who makes the best coffee in Ireland. Also, potty training. Yeah, we have to go there. When we talk to an expert on potty training, yeah, they exist. They exist. Delighted to bring today's show to you today. Follow us on Instagram, on the social medias, at Hello Steve-O, Facebook, Stephen Mullen Comedy. And if you want to send in your letters, do email podcast at gmail.com. So much to do, so little time. All right, you ready? Let's do this. Yo, 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 and welcome back to the show. You are so welcome back to Hello Steve-O Podcast, episode number 61 for Wednesday, the 29th of April, 2020. Is that how you say it? 2020? I don't know. Man, am I hyper. Am I fired up for this episode? And I think what it is is that I've got the perfect combination running through my bloodstream right now because I am on a high, albeit maybe not so... Healthy. Part of it's healthy, part of it not so much. I did my run this morning, right? And, whoo, bit tough, not going to lie to you. I was doing what's called speed runs, which is like, it is, it's exactly what it says on the tin. It's working on your, on your speed, so you kind of run as fast as you can for a few minutes, then you take a rest for a minute, run as fast as you can. A man, there was, there was moments out there where I felt, I felt young, you know? And I'm sure there's people out there listening who know what that feels like to feel fucking young. Well, you can fuck off. But there was moments, just little moments, where I was running fast and going, oh, my God, I'm in the playground again and I'm loving it. That was a great feeling. But the shower afterwards, the chilling out in the house afterwards, and then, of course, a bit of caffeine, a bit of coffee, which I'm totally going back on. Things that I've said in previous episodes about feeling great, about not being on the coffee, but I'm kind of having a coffee every second day now. Make a lovely Chemex and woo, got the caffeine high. I had it, I had it with a cheeky bit of chocolate. Stop the lights. <laughs> woo-hoo. 
And then I've sat down here to record to talk to you guys. So I'm literally on the perfect combination of runner's high, sugar high, and caffeine high. But it's a good, it's a good, good feeling, let me tell you. And I'm excited about today's show. I mean, I'm excited about today's show because I'm excited about what happened on last week's show. And I'm so happy that you guys enjoyed it. Um, Lisa actually messaged in, right, to say that (laughs) with regards to the trip to the pub, yes, we are going to make it a regular thing. We have to now because people enjoyed it so much. But Lisa messaged in to say that she was involuntarily crying (laughs) on the last visit to the pub because I caught her off guard with the memories of a real-life gathering. And she'll be more prepared uh, next time. Let me tell you, get your tissues at the ready for the trip to the pub this week. Oh, it's just beautiful. So I was delighted to get that um, that trip to the pub going, and I'm delighted that it was successful, and there was a genuine feeling of like, oh, being back to being people being back together to, again, you know, and it's having an old sing song, and um, uh, yeah, of course, I, I I totally miss it. I'm missing human contact, and I'm 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 more kind of struggling with claustrophobia. I have to say, like, I just kind of want to go somewhere, you know. I just want to know that I can go somewhere. It's the fact that I can't go places that seems to be getting into my head. But, you know, even just to, all the stand-up comedy gigs that I do, like, well, have done, you know, when we're working as comedians, you spend 90% of your time on trains and planes and buses and you kind of go, oh, I wish I wasn't traveling so much. And now I'm kind of going, <laughs> I wouldn't mind a fucking three-hour trip on a bus, air and bus. But anyway, um, Denise also got in touch as well because... Okay, this is regards being on another... I was on Des Bishop's podcast, and I mentioned spiders, right? Now, I'm not I'm not afraid of them or anything like that. What happened was, my poor little daughter got up in the middle of the night. Last week or the week before, I can't remember. And she was in her bed crying, and she was... She wasn't hysterical or anything. She was just having a little sob, and then she said to me that there was two big spiders in her bed. And I was like, would you go out of that? You're not scared of spiders. That's your mother. And she got over it fairly quickly, to be fair. But poor old Denise messages in straight away saying, I was just listening to the Des Bishop podcast and I just had to text because my little boy, who's four, woke up super distressed two nights ago saying that there were spiders in his bed as well. So Denise goes and has a Google, <laughs> which, to be honest with you, Denise, now, is not the best thing that you can do in the world for any kind of ailments. Like... You know, do you ever have a sore toe or a sore tongue or whatever? You can Google whatever it is that you want and, and you'll find the answers that you want. But Denise sends me a screenshot of of what, hap- what what is actually happening if you're dreaming of spiders. And she says, to dream of seeing a spider indicates that you may have anxieties about life. This is truly a fear-type dream. Perhaps you're concerned about a situation in walking life and feeling trapped. On the positive side, the dream of a spider means that creativity is your weapon to move on in life. Now, sorry, Denise, I I, I take all the negative things back that I said about that, because that last bit is kind of cool. The dream of a spider means that creativity is a weapon to move on in life. That's kind of my, my kid, to be honest with you, because, ah, oh, to be two again. To be two and a half again, where Matt, well, she's like... She obviously doesn't know that we're all in lockdown, and but 
she gets through her day with so much creativity, with so much. I spent an hour with her the other day pretending to be Daddy Duck and she was Mommy Duck. And we had a baby duck who was actually a dog teddy bear. But they, you know, we played Mommy and Daddy Duck for an hour. And she's delighted, happy out. So maybe it is that kind of imagination, that creativity that does uh, get, well, that gets us through our days, maybe. Yeah, that's a, it's definitely, this whole thing is making us be more creative. And there is a positive side to that. So maybe, Denise, actually, what you're saying there on the positive side of the dream of a spider means that creativity is your weapon to move on in life. Well, let's all dream of spiders right now so we can all move on and come up with all sorts of creative ways to get through the time that we're going through right now. Like, as I speak, as I'm recording this, the girls are downstairs using toilet rolls and kitchen towel rolls rolls to make animals to make a zoo a homemade zoo and i know that sounds ridiculous but they made a giraffe there and it's a pretty pretty convincing looking giraffe obviously that was done with the kitchen roll but maybe maybe there's a there's a really good point there denise that there is that creativity is how we're all supposed to move forward now and sometimes when we talk about creativity everybody thinks in terms of like oh i'm not a painter i'm not an artist i'm not a blah 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 that's bollocks, right? We're all creative. It, it doesn't even matter what, if you have an artistic discipline. That's not what I'm saying. You can be creative about anything. Like businessmen or accountants are even creative because they have to create ways of, um, I'm, not <laughs> I'm not getting an example for that. <laughs> I have no metaphor for accountants being creative. <laughs> I'd Sorry, accountants. But, like, you know, teachers have to be creative, you know? Teachers have to have, like, every class that a teacher has is dealing with different types of people. So you have to be creative with how you're going to treat people and how you're going to deal with people, how you're going to manage people, but also be able to teach them the course. There you go. That that was a good example. I was watching um, The Last Dance, which I'm sure a lot of you are watching, which is the Chicago Bulls kind of documentary that's on um, Netflix. What I really like about it is that they're only releasing two episodes a week, which is great because it kind of gives you the feeling again of looking forward to an episode when it comes out next week. But if you haven't watched it, there's four episodes out at the moment. I think it's going to be ten altogether by the time it's finished. But check it out. It's fantastic. But one of the really great things that they... That the manager, uh, Phil Jackson, I think his name was, how he was creative in dealing with Dennis Rodman, who was on the famous Chicago Bulls team that also had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen on it. But see, Rod, see, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen were hard workers, training all the time, wanting to be the best, focused, all that stuff, 24-7, all the time. But Dennis Rodman needed to let loose the odd time. And they used to let him go do it. So he'd go missing in Vegas for four days because he needed to just go have a blowout, and then come back to training and he'd be grand. But the creativity from the manager, from the coach, to know that this is what Rodman needed was, you know, I thought, you know, it's brilliant. It's creative creativity within um, within managing management of people. And teachers do that as well. I think the best teachers, I didn't have any good teachers. Sorry if any of you are listening, but I really didn't have any good teachers. Um, but the great teachers... Well, the teachers I got on with were the ones that probably that uh, the coach the sports teams. But even in coaching a sports team when I was in school, the, the ability to know that 
this guy is different to the other people. They're not all going to be treat. They're not all going to respond to the same way of talking. That's the brilliance in teaching and coaching and all that kind of stuff. So, anyway, I've gone off on a tangent there, but that's a. I like the, the the later point there on creativity is our weapon to move on in life. So thanks for sending that on, Denise. Uh, Cleona asked me during the week. So some of you would have seen that I did this uh, carbonara recipe video, and ninety ninety nine percent of people loved it. We're kind of, mmm, that looks tasty. That's that that's good. And of course, you get some people bitching about like, and that's not, that's not good carbonara. That's not how. You, oh, sh-. I said it's a version of carbonara. It was it was a really short 60-second video to show you how to be able to make it easy. If you've, Some people have never made carbonara before, but Cleona loved it anyway. Um, and she asked when, <laughs> when I'm starting out Deliveroo, which I also got questions about Deliveroo when I was doing the burgers last week, which was, ah, the burgers. Woo! Man, did I pay for that. So we made the burger buns, tasty as, lovely. and um, But what happened was, was we were making... You know, I was kind of testing out the first couple of burgers. And when you make the first couple of burgers, you're just tweaking little things and trying to get it right here and there. But by tasting them, you're obviously eating a load of burgers. So we had tasted a loads. We'd probably eaten the equivalent of a burger between us. And then I was like, okay, now I'll make dinner. And made the burgers for the dinner and the chips. Long story short, that between the three of us, and one, and I mean, I say the three of us, like one of them's a two-year-old. We ate like 600 grams of meat. We ate so many burgers. It was disgusting. It was wrong. Um, but <laughs> it was tasty. It was good. Uh, really enjoyed it. But man, did we pay for like the next day. My, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say it. My girlfriend basically had to let some stuff out fairly lively that evening. Otherwise, she wasn't going to go to sleep, as she said herself. But a man was I blocked up for a couple of days. But anyway. Cleona um, was delighted with the burgers and the carbonara, asking when I'm going to set up a delivery. And Claire actually got in touch as well to say that she loved the look of the carbonara, but her sister makes a vodka pasta dish. I have never heard of that before. But I'd be interested to check that one. Has anyone else tried a vodka pasta dish? I don't know. Sounds interesting. Sounds crazy, Claire. Also, last week, I posted a photo of me uh, on Instagram Five years ago, and I was at a wedding. Well, man, did I get some stick for that. I had a different... To me, obviously, when... It's obviously just... Do you know when you look at old photos of yourself and you don't think of that much of a big deal about it, but then other people who have just seen you in today's context look at you, look at a photo of you from years before and think that, holy shit, that's crazy. But I was was living in London at the time and I just had a beard, but had the faded cut... So like skin fade, cut at the sides, and a bit of a bit of length on top. And I was at my mate's wedding, and I took this selfie in the church. <laughs> I thought I just, I just thought it was a nice photo, but um, loads of you guys had fun with it. I can't rem- I can't find out. I can't find who said it because I've lost it. But somebody said I looked like I looked like I work as a, a as a clerk in AIB. So <laughs> thanks for that. If you're listening in the US, AIB is the um, is the Allied Irish Bank. It's a bank in Ireland, so... Uh, and someone else said, thank fuck you grew your hair out. <laughs> I thought it was a good look. Like, I, I might go back to it now. Anyway, we won't go into that. Um, Mary also got in touch and said, a lovely message to say, enjoyed your latest podcast. I'm sorry to hear that you were struggling, but delighted to hear that your mate read you 
and was spot on and hope you're having a better week thank you so much for the message mary and yeah it was good to chat with my mate there the other week bumped into him in the street well didn't bump into him we kind of bumped uh we bumped virtual how do you say we we saw each other from two meters apart basically and um yeah definitely trying to check in with each other a lot more on, on both sides um i think especially blokes seem to struggle with it because i don't know what you think ladies ladies who are listening who are living with a partner and they're in a relationship with a man do you find it difficult to get anything out of him if you feel that he's having a bad time because i find it really hard to talk to my other half because i don't like to um if like if she says to me like you know what's up are you all right the natural reaction to that is like yeah i'm fine fuck off basically you know that kind of a feeling and for some reason it takes like lads to draw each other out or something like that and when there is something wrong we the initial vulnerability to kind of break down what's going on inside we really struggle with that for some reason but ladies who are living with blokes do you find that do you find sometimes i think there's you know the reason i talked to my mate was because he was he was a bloke and he was able to text me and go you're all right bro and i was like nah i'm not actually phone call and we can talk like men and there's 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 something in the brotherhood that that needs to be done that we're not necessarily that used to. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here. But um, if you've had any, any feelings or experiences on that, um, do let me know. And last one here. Life of Luna. I'm just going to call you Life of Luna because that's your Instagram account. But Life of Luna said um, <laughs> she or he wogged. 5k today <laughs> so that's a mix between walking and jogging so i like that term so wogged 5k and used to be mad into running and personal best was to do 5k in 22 minutes at the park run which is a really decent time um but got really bad shin uh, shin splints and uh tr- tried chi running which i couldn't get into what's chi running but anyway she or he says you have inspired me, and that's why I have gone back to the uh, running. I'm, d- I mean, I'd hardly say I'm an inspiration on that front, but I'm delighted. So many people are getting in touch because they've gone out and they've done their five k, and they're going out and doing their little bit of exercise, be it running or walking here and there. And I'm delighted that people are getting out there and doing that, um, because uh, it's just. It is good for you. And there's loads of like negativity around it or people don't want to post on social media. But I actually don't post uh, times or anything like that on social media because that's not the point of it, I don't think. But I'm delighted to hear people, so many people listening to the show or um, having, the cra- having the crack with them on Instagram. And it's, it, it's insp- inspiring or like making you go, yeah, I'll go get out and do that. Because I believe there is such thing as a runner's high, which is what first thing we're going to talk about today. We're going to get into the theory or get into the, you know, is it myth? Is it legend? Or is there actually such a thing as a runner's high? And I'm telling you, no matter what your level of fitness is, if you can only just walk 5K, I'm telling you, you can find that high. Everybody can. So let's, let's, go, let's go dive a little bit deeper. Let's have a look at this running myth thing here. Let's do this. 
So obviously we know some kind of sciencey bits and pieces about it, but I'm like not very, I'm not very science savvy. So I know what I'm feeling afterwards, but then I always think, is that in my head or is there something chemically going on? So I did, we did a bit of research into this, believe it or not, and we've gone into to find some very interesting articles. So here, wait to see this. I asked, what is runner's high? And it says, why runner's high makes an athlete feel good? And what's happening in the body when those positive feelings wash over a person, however, is anyone's guess. What? Okay. For a long time, people believed the answer lay with the whole endorphin argument. Yeah, I've definitely heard that, of people going on about positive endorphins, but this is saying that it's not that. With long-duration exercise, you release, excuse me, endorphins, which I think you also get, like... Endorphins like are a feeling of like a whole like a morphine like effect, which if you've ever been on morphine or done heroin, it's an amazing feeling. Um, that's not what I'm that's not what I'm trying to advocate here, but um, <laughs> what am I saying? I've, if you've been on morphine, you know it's pretty fucking decent. Like I've had to be on morphine for uh, what if I had to be in hardly for having the bum the the camera up my bum have I? Do you have to get morphine for that? I do remember being given something that knocked me out, and it was just like just before I got knocked out, I was like woo. It was like the whole room was spinning. What did morphine? I did, I'm sure I've had it. Oh, I was in hospital for a few days, yeah, and they had me on the morphine. Anyway, morphine, you get you get what I'm saying. So it does have a morphine-like effect on the body and therefore may be responsible for the feelings of well-being, says Dr. Cedric Bryant, PhD, Chief Science Officer of the American, American Council on Exercise. Very swanky. So he says that uh, Brian explains while it's a good theory, it doesn't necessarily hold water. So the whole endorphin effect thing apparently doesn't hold water. It says while our circular levels of endorphins might be up, whether that impacts a person's psychological outlook directly is probably not that likely, he says. In some studies, when the effects of endorphins have been blocked chemically, so they've done some studies where they've blocked endorphins from affecting the body. People have still experienced the high. That's interesting. So the whole endorphin argument has been called into question. Blocked chemically. Like, uh, how do you block that chemically? With I don't know. Anyway. Researchers have looked at other types of neurotransmitters that might have a role in affecting a person's mood. No, I'm not going to be able to read this. Norepinephrine secretin. Oh, God. Is any sci- there is scientists listening. I know there is. Sorry about this. <laughs> You can email me in the proper pronunciations. Anyway, norepinephrine, secretin, dopamine, I know that one, and serotonin have all been shown to help to reduce depression, says Bryant. These neurotransmitters also tend to be released and produced in higher concentrations during exercise. Okay, so people think that it may be some of these other biochemical substances, aside from the endorphins, that might be responsible for this effect. On average, you tend to see people who are runners and habitual exercises having better moods, suffering from less depression and less anxiety and more general feelings of well-being, says Bryant. I have to say, from a personal note, I have noticed that a lot because I've been watching some running movies, believe it or not. Um, I'll post the link to them online because there's one in particular which makes you proud to be Irish. Uh, I mean, I can't remember the guy's name. I feel bad now. I think it might be Connor Lynch. I'm not sure. But he's an Irish runner who is... Uh, and when I say runner, these guys aren't aren't like professionals. They're like massive in running enthusiasts. 
Um, Irish guy living in San Francisco, I think, and they made this beautiful movie on him. If you go on to likethewind.com, it's a running website. This guy, um, travel. he's originally from Wexford, travelled back from San Francisco to Ireland to do the Wicklow Round, it's called. So if you're not from Ireland, Wicklow is a, is a county that is just south of Dublin, on the east coast of Ireland. And Wicklow's nickname is the Garden of Ireland because it's considered to be the most beautiful county. And it is stunning. It's beautiful. And it's got stunning mountains there. And in the county of Wicklow, there's this track called the Wicklow Round, which is basically a hiking trail. It's really, really long. And it would take you a couple of days to hike it, really. But these runners have taken to running the Wicklow Round all in one go. Um, so I think it's 28 peaks. So 28 peaks of mountains that you have to run between the mountains and touch each peak when you get to the top and run on to the next one. So this uh, movie was about this guy who's trying to break the record. Um, I won't spoil it for you, but what he did was, was amazing. Just considering the conditions that he was doing it in because he did not get good weather. And it was fucking tough. I mean, actually, I was wondering how the fuck did they get the cameraman to even follow him on this? It looked tough, man. But what I noticed about this guy, he goes and meets loads of different people who have run the Wicklow round. Um, and he goes, and there's loads of runners in the documentary. And the one thing that I noticed about them, and this might sound stupid, but they look like the happiest people ever. So content, kind of like a quiet people, um, like smiling from their eyes all the time. They just looked in great form altogether. And to take on what he was taking on, it was such a mammoth task to be running around up there in the mountains um, in brutal conditions, brutal conditions. But he had such, he was just such a, even when he was up there doing it, he was still smiling. I found that fascinating. So there's definite some, there's definitely something in runners that um, they have an air of positivity about them. And they're, they're definitely, because str- it's such a lonely thing to do as well, running. Um, it's lonely is probably the wrong word. It's like it's it is an individual thing. It's down to you. It's you against yourself kind of a thing. But these guys, man, are they happy to be out there running on their own? They just seem to have found some joy in it. I really think it's really cool. So I'm not surprised here that Dr. Bryant is saying that there's less depression and less less anxiety between um in in, in runners. Um. So he goes on to say, a smart marathon runner has put in many hours of training for many weeks or months before the event. Uh, I mean, obviously, fucking hell, you don't need a PhD for that. But <laughs> um, Before the event. And the health benefits of sustained aerobic exercise are well documented. Improved circulation, which I think is good. It means the blood is running around your body better. Like, you know, I had someone very close to me who had a blood clot in the last few years. And uh, if you get that blood clot in the wrong place in your body, you're dead. So up, you want good circulation. (laughs) Reduced body fat, which I'm really working on. I don't think the chocolate is fucking helping. But men always seem to gather the little bit of fat around the belly and get the dad bod. It's fucking annoying. And girls, apparently, or women, apparently, tend to get it more in the thighs and the hips, which um, I have to say this quietly, but I'm, I'm not against that, ladies. I'm a big fan of big thighs and hips, but that is another conversation. <laughs> um, genuinely, I don't care what's... Anyway, I'm not going into that now. Um, reduced body fat, lowered blood cholesterol, and better self-esteem. That, 
I feel good about myself just for having done, and I struggled. I was doing speed runs today. I feel like genuinely which is very un-Irish but I'm coming back from my run today like patting myself on the back going like I did a good you know proud of myself so that's a good thing um so blah 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 so there you go there's some good um uh there's some good uh info there for you this is all coming did I tell you where it's coming from by the way this is from uh, webmd.com which has obviously got some scientific uh papers going on there and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, looking back into the runner's high, um, I was looking at this other stuff as well that said that um, in generally, if you it said that if you practice sport three times a week, you can become physically addicted to it. That's interesting, isn't it? It's not a bad addiction to have. It's better than crisps or chocolate. But the addiction part is the addiction is part of the running high. Um, the runner's high occurs when your brain releases a combination of natural blah, blah, blah. Um, and there's no... Yeah, it says here there's no runner's high on the first day out. That's true. Let's not beat around the bush here, right? When you're out there running, you're not high all the time. Like, I would say 99% of the time you're going, fuck me, this is so... This is painful. And you will... Like, I have gotten moments over the course of the exercise when I'm going, ooh, I'm, I'm feeling kind of fucking high now. I'm feeling good. But there's only moments of that. And I think the majority of the runner's high for me comes after the run that I just did it. I'm not running around, running a 10K, going, oh my God, I feel amazing. No, it's painful as well. But you've got to push yourself... Um, through that pain, because you do get the high when you push yourself uh, through it, which is an interesting point that was uh, that they do research here as well. That the U.S. Army, so listen to this, they talk about pushing your body through base training. So it says to fuel up, but you don't stuff your gob with burgers and then say to yourself, "I've got to go work this off." That is the wrong way around to do it. In the U.S. Army, they have this uh, mantra, which is you work to eat. So you do the work first, and then you eat. So you keep your body energized with the right foods. You avoid tiring yourself out due to a lack of fuel before your body even has a chance to push, it, push itself for very long. So you boost your energy levels with roughly 200 calories before working out. And depending on climate, drink a bottle of water roughly 20 minutes after eating to, to hydrate yourself without impeding digestion. Work to eat means to do the work first, then you reward yourself. Isn't that interesting? Because I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm pointing fingers at myself. Fuck no do I work to eat. Like eating is... Like certainly in our culture and Western society, we definitely... Okay, I'm not speaking for you guys, but I definitely do a lot of... Like, I'll treat myself. I'll have a bit of chocolate here. I'll have a bit of... A, you know? It's all... Uh, it's this m- m- mindset of like, they give me, I'll have a bit of chocolate here. And like, well, I didn't earn the chocolate, did I? You got to work. You got to, you know... You gotta get your body tired to fuel your body. Like like food is fuel, I suppose, is what this is all saying. So if we change our mindset to that rather than, you know, and it's t- rather than stuffing our faces because we want to eat, we just want to have something to eat because you want because you do get a high off the sugar. That's ah, that's why it's difficult. That food addiction. Anyway. I think there are there is some evidence there um on there being an actual genuine Runners high. The the source for for this second part of the U.S. Army all all that stuff comes from totalgymdirect.com. So check that out if you want. I can I can post the link to that in the description as well. But there you go. There's some interesting stuff on running. And like I said to you before, whether you can run or like some people can't run for a K, that's completely cool. 
But even starting with the fast walk, you will find a high within that, getting that sweat going. Like, the first bit is always a bit shitty. But once I always find, once you've broken into the sweaty part, you're like, fuck it, I'm sweaty now. Let's keep going. So, anyway, with regards to running, I've got a few emails sent in. And uh, this, <laughs> this one comes in from Senan in Galway. Senan says to me, hello, steve our gang of friends grew up outside a small town in the west of Ireland and every weekend we would go into town for pints and every Saturday night the same problem. The taxis would only do town fares. They would never want to pick us up uh, to drop us 10 kilometres outside to outside the six, which is a real problem in rural Ireland, isn't it? If you want to have a good time but a taxi isn't going to drop you 10 kilometres away. But anyway, at 18 and 19, we decided to run using a system we called pole running. At 2 a.m., after the nightclub finished, we would run one pole, walk one pole, run one pole. That's brilliant. So that's the telegraph poles on the side of the road. They'd run one, walk one, pissed as a puddle but loving it. <laughs> the roads were dangerous as, as hell, and I guarantee you're not wearing any luminous gear. There's probably, no, there's probably no lighting either. The roads were dangerous as hell, but we would be home in no time, sleep it off, Boom, no hangover, system work. What a brilliant system. When I return to running during the lockdown, I find myself looking at the poles and getting the runners high from the memory. <laughs> Just goes to show that whatever works, that whatever works really works. Keep up the great work, Senan in Galway. Uh, thanks so much for that, Senan. That's interesting that I know a guy who ran a marathon, sub three hour marathon. He ran a marathon in less than three hours. And the night before, he, he had, a, he had a, not a rake of pints, but he'd had a few pints. But if you read that legendary book, Born to Run, which is a fantastic book, which tracks this tribe in Mexico called the Tarahumara tribe, they actually, because I think they run naturally, they just run 100K a day or something crazy like that, because that's what you know humans were back in the day. We were hunter gatherers, so we were always kind of running. Running to kind of uh, to trap animals and stuff like that. So running the long way around and trying to trap them. And but they they eat this stuff, which is like it was a fermented chia seed drink, I think, um, that they used to have, which is a, it was essentially fermented. So it was had a slight touch of alcohol off it, and that helped them to run a little bit faster. So sending maybe the few pints does work out in Galway. Maybe there is something to be said for that. I'm not advocating going out and getting locked and going for a run, but there's something to be said for it. But anyway. Speaking of pub, speaking of beers and pints and all that, we don't all have to go running to this pub because it's going to be right here in your ears right now for you, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to go back to the pub. Now, whether you're running now listening to this or whether you're walking or whether you're listening to it at home, you've got your earphones in, whatever it is, just take a moment, quieten yourself down, close your eyes and picture this. All of us going back to the pub together <laughs> lovely the corona's after going down as well Paddy I know thank god hopefully we'll be able to get back to normal as soon as possible I hate this malarkey of having to have the bar stool spaced two metres apart what no Paddy Tesco's have 75% off bottles of corona People are scared shitless of the stuff because of the virus. Ugh, <laughs> gobshites. A euro a bottle or something. It's mad. Sure, Mick is after filling a keg with the stuff and hooking it up to the Heineken tap for all the hipsters. <laughs> Fair play to you, Mick. Feeding hipsters 
Fucking sick of him. Look, here's another one now. Look at him. With his bleeding guitar, looking like George Harrison. <laughs> he does as well, Paddy. <laughs> Bet he can't play like George. tell you what when lisa was telling me earlier on that she was feeling emotional at the trip to the pub there the other week last week i had a moment myself in the last week that um my poor daughter like little two-year-old i don't know how you explain this to a little girl but she was crying the other morning she said daddy i want more sun i want there to be more sun and she was bawling her eyes out (laughs) i don't know if it's 
It's definitely in her blood, man. She's, you know, she was born in Portugal. She was born in the height of summer. So she's she's born for the heat, you know? And she was bawling, crying, like, I want more sun. Imagine saying that. And you can't explain to a two-year-old that, you know, ah, well, it's Ireland. You know, if you said that to, <laughs> if you said that to any adult, if you just said, ah, well, that's Ireland, you know, everyone knows what that means, but a two-year-old doesn't know what that means. And I happened upon George Harrison's here comes the sun, and I swear to God, I was listening to it, then thought of my daughter crying, wanting the, wanting to be, there to be more sun, listening to this song, I swear to God, whoa, was there a frog in the throat, whoa! But hey, it's alright to get emotional, lads, you know? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this week's trip to the pub. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do in a couple of different ways. PayPal link is down below. I'd love it. If you like what I'm doing, please do support. I'm very grateful to everybody who has donated. Be it one euro, 50 cents, whatever, as little as you want to donate, do donate uh, to the podcast or to the PayPal link. If you don't like PayPal, just send me a message. I don't want, like, it's the, only, it's the quickest thing I could come up with, but um, or maybe I'll do one of the other formats. I don't know. But anyway, if you don't want to support the show financially, that is totally cool. But if you're enjoying the show, tell somebody else. Share it on your social media. Tell, you know, screenshot it and put it on social media. Just tell other people. Let's bring more people to the pub. How about this? I'm thinking that we should do a whole episode set in the pub. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? I think we're going to do... I've had so many musicians getting in touch. And I think we're going to do some special things over the next few weeks. But anyway... Financially, if you're in a situation where you can't support the show, I totally get that. But do support by sharing it, by telling somebody else about the show. And I do appreciate everybody that has given. I'm I'm very, 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 very thankful for And I'm also very thankful for coffee, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. I know I was supposed to be off it and I'm back on it again, but I've got loads of questions in about coffee, about brewing methods, about, you know the best way to to make a coffee at home and people are missing their coffee shops they're missing their flat whites and blah 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 so what i decided to do was i know a guy who's the best at making coffee in the whole country of ireland that's true he won a competition i know i've built him up a little bit too much there but (laughs) but he's a good pal of mine and He's dedicated his life to the coffee game. And I know that to a lot of people, the whole coffee thing can be boring, not interested. Um, they think it's a load of shite and hipsters are just fucking, just being wankers. But let me tell you, I've spent years, that's how I made my living for years, was making coffee, being a barista. And it's quite a cool place to be i don't mean cool in the hipster sense i mean it's a cool place to meet people it's the best i lived in london for years i tell you what it's the best way to meet a city is to make them coffee oh man you get to know everybody straight away i'll never forget i was living in london six months my father came over to visit me we're walking down the street and everyone's going oh hey steve oh hey steve oh hello steve <laughs> he's like fucking hell everybody knows you're around here is that because of the comedy he's like nah it's because of the coffee <laughs> the best way the best way to meet people i have to say making them getting them going on their day 7 a.m they're tired they don't want to know they don't want to think about the day's work ahead but you make them a coffee and it makes them feel a bit better you become quite a a significant important person in people's lives when you make coffee for people every day but anyway 
loads of questions and maybe I'm not the greatest at explaining the best ways of making coffee. So I was chatting to my good friend, Niall Wynn from Proper Order Coffee Company. He owns a fantastic um, little cafe in our coffee bar in Smithfield Square. And obviously with the pandemic, he's closed down. But the lockdown has meant that he's been able to explore other ways of keeping people happy and keeping their caffeine fix happy. So I um, decided to give him a little bell to share his knowledge and also give you some tips on the best, simplest way that you can all make a tasty coffee at home. Niall, thank you so much for coming on to the show. How are you doing in lockdown? Good, man. Yeah, all things considered, pretty good. Um, just trying to stay busy, I guess, like everybody else. Trying to, you know, stick to the rules and stay busy as busy as I can, you know. Probably much like yourself. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you've you been doing fantastic work because obviously for a coffee shop, it's going to be bloody tough times to try and keep things going. But um, things have been busy for you on a different front because obviously the shop is not open. So you're not serving coffees to your customers on a daily basis. But yeah, you've managed to uh, keep things going on a different level. Yeah, it was weird because I think we, we made the decision to close pretty abruptly. You know, within the space of a day or two, we just kind of said, no, it's it's not safe. And we closed the shop. And, but I think we, we kind of, we, we struck while the iron was hot and we, we kind of got a web shop, a very basic web shop, uh, up and running. The most basic and, web shop we, in the world, as you call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, it's been upgraded since then. But, uh, yeah, literally, like, it was cobbled together in about two hours, two or two or three hours. And it was literally just, um, just, to get people to originally it was it was only set up to buy stock that we had on the way you know so we had placed an order and then we decided a day later geez we're gonna close here it's just not it's not safe everybody's at risk yeah and then uh, so the website was there just to clear an order that we had in but i think that first order that we had sold out in about you know 24 26 hours and i kind of went, oh jesus maybe this is gonna keep us going yeah <laughs> absolutely madness, you know so it was like so just so every, everybody at home knows, basically what you're doing now is you're selling retail coffee that everybody can brew at home themselves. Yeah, so I think, I'm just looking here, we have about eight coffees online. They're all different sorts, different types, depending on what you like. And yeah, we so what we do is we collect the orders, we deliver twice a week. Yeah. And if you need it ground, we can ground it. If you don't need it ground and you've got your own setup at home, that's amazing, you know. We kind of look after look after everybody as much as we can. Yeah. Now I know what specialty coffee is, and I, and all the fans of Proper Order Coffee Company down in Smithfield know what Proper Order does and why it's different to all, say, for example, to say a high street uh, coffee chain, for example, and how it's different. I know what specialty coffee is all about, but like, how can you explain to people who don't necessarily know what specialty coffee is? What is the difference between what you guys are doing and say one of the coffee chains are doing? So I guess. The, the one big difference is that with, with specialty coffee, um, you're kind of going for the high end. So I always say, you know, specialty coffees are the ones that are rated at the top end. So if you rate coffee from 1 to 100, specialty coffee is, is you know, 85 and above. So it's, it's the kind of coffee that gets an A and a leaving first. That's what I always say. Oh, very um, good. <laughs> which, is a, which is a nice way to break it down for people because they're going, oh, Jesus, yeah, I want a bit of that. Yeah. Um, and kind of, kind of further to that, it's 
it's where I guess a lot of the drive in, in what we do is trying to reach back um, to production level. So trying to reach back to farmers and giving them essentially what, I guess for lack of a better term, a quality bonus. So based on how much you pay a farmer, that is you know, kind of directly correlated to the, to the quality of the coffee. So a good rule of thumb is, you know, it's not true for everything, obviously. There's, there's some, some, some exceptions out there where generally the better, the better the coffee, the higher the price, or the more rare the coffee, the higher the price. So it, it's kind of, it, it's a very open, well, quite an open and quite a transparent industry from that point of view, you know. Yeah. Everything's, everything's traced back to a farm level, to how many metres above sea level, what variety it is nearly down to what the farmer had for breakfast so. <laughs> yeah and so and so what it means is that by the time it comes back to the cup what you're selling in your coffee shop there's all sorts of different flavors going on in the cup it's not just a, just a cup of coffee which a lot of people i mean which is totally fine but a lot of people think all coffee tastes the same but with you I mean you're getting very different coffees very different flavor very different tastes of coffee at different times of the year as well aren't you yeah so you know, there's two, two, two kind of streams of coffee in, in proper order. So we have the house coffee, which is red brick, which is kind of, you know, it's what you would expect from a coffee. You know, it's really, really good. It's a, a huge step up from what you would buy day to day in a supermarket or wherever else. Um, but it, it kind of hits your expectations for what a coffee should be. You know, it's smooth and it's rich and it's it's chocolatey and it's delicious. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a blend. So when you, as you, as you know, when you blend coffees, you kind of round out certain flavors. So yes, you lose, yes. What you lose is maybe individuality. You gain in terms of familiarity and kind of uh, general consumer satisfaction. Now, the other, the other side of what we do is that we do do something that's called single-origin coffees. And that means a lot of things to very different people. So some people say a single-origin coffee, okay, I'm going to have a coffee that's from Ethiopia. And that's good enough for some people to, to say it's single origin. But what we try to do is go next level and figure it out down to a farm. Um, so I'm just looking at a copy that we just added to the website here. Uh, it's a Peruvian, and it's called the Roxana Rang- Rangel nice. Granada. Nice. I'm probably, I'm probably absolutely butchering that. <laughs> that copy is named after the farmer. So Roxana Rangel Granada is the actual farmer that produced this coffee. So she's like, I think she's a second or third generation uh, coffee farmer wow. in the Tabacanas in the Tabacanas region of Peru. And she's this kind of young gun. She's very much into the experimental side of things. And that, you know, that was one of the coffees that when I tried, I kind of went, wow, this is, this is kind of very special and it kind of fits in with what we do. You know, that's, you know, saying that, that coffee's not for everybody. You have to kind of choose your audience. You know, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. give that coffee to my to my dad because he go, what? <laughs> Strawberry. Oh, welcome
like the Roxana Rangel yeah. is, is you know, going to be for someone who's maybe a little bit more experimental. Now, yeah. what, what, what a lot of people don't know about you, Niall, is that before you got into this coffee game, you had two previous kind of careers. You swam for Ireland, which is pretty impressive. Tell us a bit yeah. about that. Um, yeah, so I was thrown into a pool from a very young age. Um, <laughs> I think Get him uh, out of the house. <laughs> yeah, there's pictures of me, like, four and five years old in, in a pool, uh, kind of with my folks. So we, we grew up more or less around the pool. So from, you know... I was in swimming lessons from five all the way up to, to kind of 15 and started to get pretty serious around then and kind of started swimming for um, around the age of 15 and then all the way through until when I stopped in, at, at 22, you know. So I got to see, um, I, I always tell people somehow, I got to see a lot of the world, you know. I got to travel here and there and everywhere. Yeah. But I really got to see, I really got to see a lot of hotels and a lot of pools, you of know. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. when you're a serious athlete, it's just, it's just about keeping focus and... And all that, but did did it um th- does that kind of a, a background influence the way that you do run your business now today? Yeah, listen, you know, doing something for that long, it can't it can't not influence what you do. You know, it's kind of that small little attention and the, you know the dedication, even the fact that I used to have to get up four in the morning, makes getting up at half five to open the shop a piece of paper. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> Of course, man. You know, it, it'd be silly for me to look back on that and, and kind of say, ah, what did I do all that for? You know, it does, it does stand here, you know. Even yeah. being able to just get up, the lock and get up at, you know, 10 to 7 in the morning, go for a run before all the lunatics. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, have a good time doing that you know yeah that and you, that competitive nature is because like what i always like to tell people who are going into proper order is like uh, you get to go in and, and get coffee made for you by the best barista in ireland you know like that's that competitive streak stayed there didn't it because you end up representing ireland in the world barista championships as well yeah so i i you know there was when i started in coffee so back in 2012 people of us were making coffee yes yeah. we were we were coffee was, bros. Was, you know, <laughs> the only the only way to learn back then was to either you know go home and, and root through the internet for a load of blogs, or else do a competition. Yeah. And uh, you know, competition was kind of second nature to me at that stage. So that was when I started doing them. And you know, any any time we've done them, so myself and my wife Ali both do the competitions. And any time we've done them, we've always placed in the top three in the country. Wow. And we've both had, both actually been lucky enough to go off and, and represent Ireland twice now. So once in the Bristol Championship and then once in the Brewers Cup for, for Ali, you know. So, Amazing. Yeah, been really lucky now. You know, tensions run high during those training sessions. <laughs> Absolutely. A few times a bag of coffee beans and a cup thrown across the room. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 you kind of put it all behind you as soon as you close the door, you know. Yeah, yeah. So come here. Uh, everyone who's listening is wondering about all your tasty coffees now but like for somebody who is not uh for want of a better word because i would put myself in this category for somebody who's not a coffee geek like maybe i am right what does people out there who are interested in your coffee and might be a bit too intimidated but but what what would you say is the best brewing method to make a nice cup of coffee at home now in the middle of this lockdown uh listen like it's it's one of the most underrated brew methods, but you want to dust off the old French press or whatever you call it. Oh, lovely! Yeah, the cafetiere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the the most important things is that you're buying good coffee from proper order. Yeah. Or order out. But I'd I'd obviously buy it and recommend 
Yeah. You're using good water to brew it. Yeah. And you're just paying attention to a few little things as you do it. And any so any tips about like, is there recipes online that you can look up? Should people be weighing their coffee and timing it and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so there's, there's, I mean, there's plenty of recipes online. And it's this kind of rabbit hole of, of what you go into when you when you start looking online. Because, um, you know, you'll find 20 different recipes telling you, you know, 30 different things. Yeah, 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 yeah. YouTube is the way to do it, isn't it? You know, there's a couple of YouTube legends up there. So James Hoffman, or Jim Seven, as he's known on YouTube, he's kind of a coffee guru. But with the French press, I would say there's, there's a couple of golden rules. They'll stick to about 60 grams per litre. So if you've got a if you've got a half litre French press, just 30 grams in that. So that's going to be about four or five tablespoons. Right. Really. Yeah. Fill it up, leave it for four minutes. And then a little bit of coffee that's floating on top, just push that down to the bottom. And then you'll have all this weird-looking foam stuff sitting on top. You scoop that off as best you can with another tablespoon. And then just put the plunger on top, but don't push it all the way down. Lovely. And once, once, once that coffee is as strong as you like, that's when it's good to drink. People say, pour it straight away. People say, you know, wait two minutes. That You have to make the coffee that's going to be right for you. Yeah, yeah. The one, the one thing I will say is timing what you're doing, not make a bad cup of coffee again. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a simple stopwatch, just the time to know how long you um you're doing it. That's amazing, man. Like, thank you very much. I'm going to stick the link to like a, a a French press recipe by James Hoffman in the the description here to the podcast as well. And uh, is there any particular coffee that you have on the proper order website that you'd recommend for French press? Listen, the one that you, Meridiano, has just been selling out day now so we we deliver twice a week and it's been sold out for both deliveries wow. what i'm recommending uh for people to, to go into what we're all about you know okay cool lovely so the and give us a shout out to your social media and your website there where can people get uh, get your coffee oh yeah so you can find us at properordercoffeeco.com or else you can search us um, at properordercoffeeco underscores in between each one and pop up there. Uh, Lovely. There's not too many proper orders in the world, luckily. Yeah, yeah. You'll be able to I'll, and I'll, I'll put the links to your website as well in the description for the podcast as well. Listen, man, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on, and we'll chat again to you soon. No worries. See you now. There you have it. You can make nice, simple, tasty coffee at home with your cafeteria or French press. I will be posting the, the links to the videos of that in, um, in the description to the show. And apologies about the little choppiness in the phone call there. But sure, it's, it's lockdown. We're doing the best that we can, you know. You know yourself. Anyway, hope you enjoy your coffee at home. And any more questions, you can send them in to Hello Steve O Podcast on... Hello, Steve, podcast at gmail.com. Correcto Mundo. Now, we did have the conversation last week about my daughter doing the potty training. And I have to say, I was quite taken aback by so much love. The love that was out there in the world for, for a little one going through. What I've learned is quite a traumatic thing. Now, you wouldn't have thought it, but you kind of look back and you look back at yourself and kind of go Jesus this was probably traumatic for for me as a kid but I'm telling you when you listen to this and I understand why my daughter is struggling with it because it's quite a traumatic thing it's like the first moment that you realize that you're you're going to be a big girl or a big boy now you know um so I got a lovely message there during the week 
saying, I can't find the bloody thing now. Be professional, Stephen. Come on. Uh, hold on. Let me have a little flick here. Found it, found it, found it. Sorry about that. So this came in from uh, Hazel, who sent me a lovely message, who was listening to um, the show. And she said uh, that she's a five-year-old girl and not to stress about the nappy, nappy stuff. That my daughter will tell me when she's ready, which I don't doubt she will, because she's um, quite the bossy boots, let me tell you. Um I mean, I'm not allowed into into rooms at at, at certain points. Like, no, Daddy, you go away, you wait up there. But anyway, um, she'll tell you when she's ready. And and girls are very fucking clever. I know that. I I bloody well know that. My little one trained at night before the daytime, and did it when we were travelling home one Christmas from Switzerland. Um, if you haven't got pull-ups, then you can get them. It's the only tip I'll give you. Oh, and get get her to buy knickers. Now we did buy my daughter knickers, and she loves them but what is interesting is that she she likes to have her knicker time and then she's like okay can we put the nappy back on now it's this odd thing of of the the using of the toilet to go to the using of an actual physical toilet to go to the toilet that they that they that they don't want to do and there's a lot of fear connected to it which is interesting so i decided i decided that i was going to get in touch with somebody the only person that i know that is the most experienced in having to potty train. This this woman has done three of them. So I decided to call her up and see if I could get any advice on the best way to potty train my little girl. And I had an interesting phone call. Hello? Hi, ma'am. How are you? Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. And you? Not too bad. Come here. I have a, a bit of a, a problem that I was uh, ringing to see if I can get your advice about, right? Because we're trying to uh, toilet training in the house this week and it's not going very well. Have you got any? Uh-huh. Av- have you got any advice? Because you were like you've. I just thought like you've had three kids, so you must have been pretty good. Or you must know how to do it pretty well. The thing was, you know, between you and your brother, there were only fifteen months, yeah. and I. I didn't have a lot of patience about it. The idea was that at one stage I had two children in nappies, so I wanted to hurry you up to be body trained, so I only had to change nappies for one. So what did you do? Do you remember any tactics that you had? Oh, well, you read all these books and, and all of that, you know, I, 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 tactics, you know, really. I could, uh, It was just, you know, do it in the summer uh, and when <laughs> you can take the, the nappy off and keep an eye and go running and, uh, have the body ready and all of that and there were lots of accidents in in, in between you know oh. uh, and, and events and eventually it, you were there so you get us to run around and then we had to uh, run around and you chase us with a, with a run around outside well uh, yeah yeah you would go in the garden it, it wasn't days that you could say okay you, uh, you if you didn't have a nappy you just have your you have shorts Right. Uh, uh, clothing that it was easier to um, take off, and then if you were uh, if you were wet, you know there was no problem because it wasn't cold, and clothes would get dry faster, and all of that. You know that was the logic. Did we have any nicknames for going to the toilet? Because like in my house, we use like coco and shishi and blah blah, and nobody would know what we're talking about. It's like all code word for toilet behavior. Um, I think I think um, we. I can't remember if we use what we say in Argentina, caca. Yeah, we did uh, say caca. For, I remember caca. Yeah. yeah, 
And he was, yeah, he was yeah. always a great footballer for AC Milan as well. Okay, yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, good. Um, so that was that was one of the things. Um, but the the one thing that happened for you was that the, we were doing quite well, and then you broke your leg, and you end up six weeks in hospital. That's right. Uh, I remember that. Uh, yeah. So six weeks in hospital was hard because you were with um, a traction on your leg. Yeah. So you couldn't go to you couldn't go to the toilet. Let's so let's let's also be honest with all the listeners, ma'am, because you know I didn't break my leg. My brother broke my leg, didn't he? Uh, yeah, your brother broke your leg in an ex- excitement moment when he pushed you down a slide that your dad had just finished uh, building. And the interesting thing was that uh, he, he was using a, a door and other things that they were lying around to come build this little house and then a, a, a slide. And the girl next door, who was the same age as you, Stephanie, yeah. was playing there with us and uh, and I said to dad, I don't feel happy about Stephanie being in our garden, I'm afraid if something happens to her, it will be a responsibility. You know, it's a bit dangerous. So I I told uh, her mom, you know, Stephanie had to go home because I will be a little bit concerned about her. And then five minutes later, it wasn't Stephanie who yeah. broke her leg, but it was you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because Luke, Luke wanted to uh, push you, but it mm. wasn't the fact that he pushed you. It was the, way, the fact that your legs were not ready to go land straight yeah. and the leg was bended so you hit the, the ground with with the knee yeah and that produced the the, the break oh. and so the you you went to uh how old was i three years three years, years. Of age. so at that stage uh, i had i was potty trained i just yes. about maybe Yes, 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 you were, yeah, yeah. But then when you were in hospital, because you couldn't go to the toilet, you have to use what, what they provide you there, the disposable things, you know, to, to the wee well. and all of that. Yeah. And so you, you did not like that at all. And uh, and uh, so you had to be back on nappies. And you had the problem that, I don't know, what was the issue in, in your mind at that time that uh, you didn't want to do poo in what it was provided so the minute that we put the nappy that's when you would do the poo <laughs> oh my god that is weird <laughs> that you're saying that right because i'm going through the exact same thing with my daughter she yeah. she's enjoying wearing her knickers and running around the house in her knickers but when she goes to the toilet she wants to put her nappy back on so she'll wait to put the nappy on to go to the toilet yes i have no idea why it happens it could be that that a child thinks that when you're sitting in the toilet and then you flush that they think that they're going to go down with a poo, you know, yeah. that could be one, <laughs> one uh, they're going to say bye to themselves going in the toilet. I suppose in some ways it is a traumatic thing for a child because I do, um, like even with my daughter the other day, I was like, you know, putting her knickers on and then saying to her, now, if you need to go for a wee, we, 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 we'll, um, we'll go to the toilet. And she was like, no, I don't want to go to the toilet. I don't want to be a big girl. And I was like, oh, so you still want to be a baby? I'm not a baby. I'm a big girl. So it's like that conflict of like having to grow up it, like the kid feels that pressure or something like that. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think it depends on each, on each child what goes through the mind, and then the, you know, the, being so young, they they uh, cannot yet express exactly what is happening yes. in, in in their minds. You yeah. know? Another way of doing it, uh, and I don't remember if I did it with you, you know, is, is 
a reward for every time that they yeah. went to the toilet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and some people use that. And yeah. then some, the other, the other um, idea is that usually girls are easier to train than boys. Yeah, yeah. But from what you are saying, I don't. It doesn't look like. Well, uh, it hasn't been anything major, and we've and we've just started um, already. But I know some other people who have little boys, and apparently, like. They're running around after their little boys with their willies out for the last year and still no movement. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, no, there, there is, so, it, it was much more difficult for you and for Luke than for. Um, so our sister, uh, our sister Melody. was like a natural at it. She just kind of took to it quicker. Uh, who is that, Melanie? Melanie, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She, she was, she was Jamaica, but also I think it has to do with. Uh, uh, where do you come in the family? You see, uh, a number of a child mm. uh, would have seen two other girls. Yes. Other so they they see they see it in action. Yeah. Yeah. So the brothers and sisters are not full grown up adults. Yeah. Uh, they are also children, and they are doing those things. So yes. in their heads, they are saying, "I can do that as well." Yeah. It was the same, you know, with uh, going on the bicycle. You know, I mean, we were trying to put look to go. Uh, I think it was look to say, okay. Uh, go on the bike without wheel, without the wheels or whatever, and then he decides, oh no no, but I'll just go like so and so. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. I take the wheel, the little wheels off. Yeah, yeah. Um, the so stabilizers. I, I think, yeah, I think it depends on, uh, on the child, uh, uh, the the position within the family. Also, yeah. for the parent, uh, the first child is the challenging because it's not only the child who's learning, but the parent. Learning. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. When you come to number second, you have a little bit more experience. When you come to the third, it's almost like, you know, oh, that's it. Oh, it's no problem. That happens. You know, we'll, yeah, yeah. we'll get there in the end. And yeah. the attitude is totally, totally different, far more relaxed, which also communicates relaxed to the child. Yeah, yeah. I have been, like, I, in general, we're pretty relaxed about all that stuff. But what I have been impressed with is when we do have an accident, the amount of accidents that comes out. I'm like goodness me. That's a lot of it's <laughs> a lot of liquid for such a little person. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but hey, we'll yeah, yeah, yeah. listen. Yeah, yeah, thanks yeah, yeah. very much for your advice, ma'am. Not at all. And, ha- ha- uh, well, happy training. <laughs> happy training. How's the isolation going? Uh, oh, it's, it's going okay. Yeah, mm. no, it's going okay. I keep, uh, you know, I have my routine that I work every afternoon on my yard, and we are allowed to to go for a. The walk, so that's that's helpful. We have the balcony, so on the whole, it's okay, you know. Yeah. But I mean, uh, I wouldn't like to see this for for too too long, you know. Yeah, but yeah. I just get on. I think you have to take just one day at a time, yeah. uh, and not to try to figure out what's going to come next, because then you are using any energy that you have now for events that haven't happened, and yeah, that yeah. actually makes you tired. Yeah, and this is also like it's it's good training for you for when we have to put you into the home. So that's good, like. Absolutely, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mom, I gotta go, but thanks a million. Not at all, bye. See, See you later, later. Bye. 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 So there you go, some interesting stories, but not necessarily much help. <laughs> I like the way she was like, "I had two of you in fifteen months, so one of you had to get out of the nappy." <laughs> and I completely forgot about that time in the hospital. I remember having to pee in those little cardboard things, and I thought I did pee in them, but anyway, yeah, I was in a traction at three for. Six weeks. God almighty, was that traumatic. But there was no other choice because the other, the only option was that either I stay in the traction or else I'd have to have a cast going on both my legs and up t- over my hips. 
and they would be at a 90 degree angle and that was the only way I was allowed to, I was going to be able to go home which as my dad said to me before that would have been an awful to clean out but after <laughs> six weeks <laughs> but anyway we did do some research into the history of potty training and we found some very interesting things apparently the Romans actually were the ones to have consider were considered to have started the first children's toilets uh, and, and this is according to Nick Hel. Nick Haslam has written a book on psychology in the bathroom. Would you believe that? <laughs> psychology in the bathroom. Um, but uh, uh, there's some pictures here of early attempts of the in the Middle Ages of, uh, like, uh, honestly, it's a bizarre throne-like apparatus, right? Uh, uh, there's diagrams here of it where it's like a wooden throne that has these big sides on it, okay? And then there's a hole in the throne. But then when you sit the kid in, you put a bar across so that the kid can't get out. That's, I thought six weeks in hospital was traumatic. I'd say that'd be traumatic to any fucking kid having to be locked in to go to the toilet. But anyway, according, then uh, moving along into the 1800s, infants in Europe and North America were wearing cloth diapers, which you've definitely seen that in the movies, folded square made of linen or cotton flannel and held in place with a safety pin. I re- definitely some of our parents, I reckon, must have been wearing those Um or maybe not in the not in the eighteen hundreds, but I'm pretty sure. Like I don't know, maybe we'll find out here when actual proper uh, nappies that we have now came into effect. But um, anyway, they're held in place with a safety pin, and the motivation to really ch- train your child to do to use the potty come from hand washing. Yeah. <laughs> so then the question is asked: Does the motivation to train your tri- child to use the potty come from having to hand wash the diapers? Because, of course, if you're using those cotton ones, those, I suppose, the recyclable diapers or nappies, you'd want to fucking teach your child to to use the potty earlier on. But anyway, one account in the 1800s said, In the American West of pioneer days, mothers made all their children's diapers from available materials. So you could have made... T- <laughs> you literally could have made nappies out of, out of the old curtains or something like that, you know? It would have been a lovely fancy nappy. Wet diapers were seldom washed, just hung on the f- by the fireplace to dry. Jesus Christ. Hung by the fireplace to dry. That must have been a nice smelling living room. But anyway, into the 1950s, the disposable diaper, nappy, as we call it in this side of the world, is a relatively new invention created by a New York housewife named Marion Donovan. Fair play to your Marion. In 1950, Mrs. Donovan was tired of washing and bleaching and air drying cloth diapers. I'm sure you were, Marion. And having to do your curls and your hair as well. I can see the lovely hair she has here. Um, So she cut up a shower curtain into plastic envelopes into which she packed absorbent material. She used snap closures rather than pins to secure the new diaper on her children and dubbed her the new product the boater, apparently. When no manufacturer bought the idea, Mrs. O'Donovan called on New York department stores, which agreed to stock them. The the disposables were an immediate success, and Mrs. Donovan eventually sold her company for uh, $1 million. Fuck me, in the 50s. Fair play to you, Marion. Fair play to you. So that was a a disposable one where it was like you were basically throwing out the kind of the lining of it, but you kept the outside of it, I think. Anyway, Marion... Marion Donovan, founder of Pampers. Ah, oh, Jesus, the Donovan family are killed. Donovan's an Irish name as well, isn't it? Fair play to you, Marion. The founder of Pampers is quoted to say, I went to all the big names that you could think of and they said, we don't need it. No woman has asked us for that. So I went into manufacturing myself. 
Yeah, that's a bunch of male sexist chauvinistic pigs who never change the fucking nappies going, no woman has ever asked for it. Well, did you ask the woman, lads? Did you ask them? It's different times now, isn't it? So obviously there's all sorts of literature out there now, like in the 1970s, Eastern influences, um, apparently, possibly the greatest book name ever. That's true. It's called Everybody Poops. No, it doesn't call, it's not called Everybody Poops. It's called Everyone Poops is the title of the English translation by Amanda Mayer Stinkingham. Stinkingham? <laughs> it's a Japanese children's book written and is illustrated by the prolific children's author Taro Gorney and first published in Japan in 1977 there's absolutely no plot to this book i haven't ordered it yet but i am aiming to get it for my daughter and it's a seminal work on poop and potty training there's no plot to this story but it does hammer home the point that you're not alone in your quest to learn how to use the potty it is a struggle that even the strongest lion in the jungle and the smallest ant in the ground needs to poop it uses the natural world to nurture the poop from the child (laughs) Around that time, around the same time, geez, it must have been a time for writing books about poop. Somebody, <laughs> Shinta Cho wrote a book called The Gas We Pass. <laughs> the Story of Farts. A, re- a review of this book said it was both informative and blunt. The book provides young readers with solid facts, depending on the poop, I suppose, but solid facts as well as plenty to snigger about, including sage advice that says, don't hold them in, pass that gas. As a Limerick fella said to me once, if it's not in your hand, you can't hold on to it. What is the listener's experience with farts around the time of potty training? Is there a fart that is to tell the tale of trouble in the boater? Would you welcome a fart if you knew it was a poop indicator? That's a, that's, well, that's what's now in 2020 known as sharting, obviously. Farts are great. Farts are a great thing. The sound of them. Huh. In 2013, the eye potty was inevitably, are you shitting me? The eye potty was inevitably invented and unveiled in Las Vegas just 150 years earlier in the same spot the settlers had been washing diapers and drying them by the fireside. The eye potty. Oh my God, I'm looking at a picture here. It's basically a little toilet with an iPad in front of it, which is actually, I'm laughing, but it's kind of what we do now when my daughter's sitting on the potty. You know, we give her the phone to watch some, some cartoons so that she can relax. Anyway, Dr. Cynthia Mann, a pediatrician in Hamden, Connecticut, is not a fan of using the iPod, oops, or I anything to keep a toddler seated during potty training. She prefers the old-fashioned approach on the shower mat, reading a few... On the shower mat? What is wrong with you? Reading a few books to your little guy or gal to keep them settled long enough to accomplish the task at hand. Well, they're not going to want to shit on the shower mat, Cynthia. It's worth remembering that messing on an iPad has almost no time limit, whereas a book has a clear ending, just like a poo. Well, that is a great point. That is a good point. If you're listening out there and you do have kids, what books do you read? What techniques do you guys have? I read somewhere else here that um, at one stage they used to, they used to force kids to go to the toilet so it would you would have to poo according to the parent's schedule so even if you weren't potty trained and you didn't know how to go yourself what they do was i think this is in the 50s they'd shove an enema up the kids ass to make them shit because they have to go to work you wouldn't be allowed to do that now it's not right is it but what's fascinating by all this 
and my experience and my conversations with my daughter is that it does and and the conversation with my mother was that evidently it's a traumatic a traumatic experience a traumatic thing to go through that you know that you're becoming a big person in the world and it's kind of hard to handle it's you don't want to leave being a baby behind because it's a big bad scary world out there i'm not afraid to admit this ladies and gentlemen but i used to wet the bed up until i was about 12 so even like i can see now i genuinely after having that conversation with my mom i was like no wonder i've fucking a weird relationship with going to the toilet but um it is a traumatic experience tell us your stories does anyone out there remember potty training i mean i remember wetting the bed all the time because i was so old when i was doing it so of course i still remember it i was i remember at one stage wetting the bed when i was in secondary school mortifying no alcohol involved that's a different type of wetting the bed of course but what stories have you got of potty training? Have you got kids that are going through the same thing? Have you got any advice? I think the uh, the the advice that um, I can't remember her name now, but uh, Hazel said uh, in in sending through was to not stress about it. And yeah, I don't want to be stressing my daughter about it. It's only going to the toilet. We'll all get there eventually, you know. Some like I know some men get given out to for still not being good at going to the toilet, wetting the toilet seat, lads. Unbelievable. But anyway, we've packed a lot into today's show. I'm going to leave you with one message, one letter from the listener that you can email in to hellostevopodcast at gmail.com. If there's anything in today's show you want to chat about, or just general tra- chat at all, if there's anything you want to be chatting to me about, send in your stories, your messages, your thoughts, your feelings into hellostevopodcast at gmail.com. But here is a very special one that we got during the week letters from the listeners i bet he won't even fucking read it out so thanks to everybody who did send in letters and apologies that i can only get to this one today but i do endeavor to get back to all of you if i haven't got back to you send me another message again because i i feel bad about that but i think i have gotten back to everybody but uh thanks to jonathan who sent in this um message jonathan starts off by saying apologies for any bad grammar would you go away out of that jonathan with your bad grammar jesus my grammar in general in speaking is even bad so don't be worrying about your grammar sending in your emails lads and ladies he says first off i love the podcast thank you in in regards to last week's episode you were talking about running and the positive effect it has for your mental health and yes that is so true i couldn't agree more I've been really struggling this last few months as I can't uh, go anywhere near to what I used to be able to due to having a severe heart problem and having a pacemaker implanted last year at the age of 31. But over the last few weeks, I've been going for 5k walks every day and the feeling of even trying to beat my walking time has been a new challenge every day. I can't emphasize how good fresh air and getting out is so good for your mental health. So anyone who's struggling out there, I guarantee you, you will feel better. Thank you so much for that message, Jonathan. Um, I'm, I, I'm struggling to say, I don't want to say sorry um, f- to, to hear about the, the pacemaker because I, I got, I'm sure like you don't want to be feel sorry for it, but... I can see that you've got a new challenge in life, shall we put it that way, with some heart um, 
issues and fair play to you for taking the positive spin on it that you have because I'm sure that's difficult at 31 years of age to find out that you have a heart issue I'm sure is difficult but I'm delighted to see you having this positive change and and I'm sure it's difficult not to be able to run like you used to anymore but going out and doing those 5k walks I'm delighted that you are doing them and um and I'm delighted that it is improving your mental health. I can't imagine what it's like to have to take on such a physical health issue at a, such at the young age of 31. But fair play to you. The most important thing is your take on it now and the positive uh, take that you're taking now on board and moving forward and not feeling sorry for yourself. And that's why I didn't want to say sorry for your trouble or anything like that because you're not feeling sorry for yourself. You're getting up there, you're getting out and you're... You're doing what needs to be done. So fair play to you. Thank you so much for your email. I'm always delighted to hear, and this is not a sexist thing, but I'm delighted to hear from men expressing themselves um, in such a way because, um, as I said before, you're on the show, we're not great at doing it. So thank you for reaching out. Thank you for sharing. Excuse me, not to, <laughs> to burp at that point. But thank you for sharing. Um your uh, mental health story and your physical health story and i wish you all the best and thank you for listening to the show and for dropping in ladies and gentlemen unfortunately that is all we have time for today i really hope that you enjoyed the show today and i want to shout out to um some special people who are involved in today's show shout out to rob kearns who sent in the lovely beautiful guitar playing for George Harrison's Here Comes the Sun. Thank you to George Harrison for writing that song. And by the way, side note, I don't know if I said it earlier on, but he's my favorite Beatle. And if you want to know why, Martin Scorsese made an amazing documentary called Living in the Material World. If you've got four hours, yeah, you do. You all do. Get onto Netflix and check out Living in the Material World, a documentary on George Harrison, and you will see why he is my favorite Beatle. Thank you to our researcher on today's show, Leon Vaughn, you absolute legend who's come on board to help um, help me w- working on the show. All the research on today's show was done good. He's in North Carolina. He asked me to say something funny there. I can't remember, Leon. I can't remember what it was. But thank you to everybody who has listened to the show. Uh, please do share. If you want to, um, uh, please do subscribe. If Tell all the people on social media. Tell all the other people about the show. And if you've enjoyed today's show and you feel like you can financially contribute, the PayPal thing is there. But if not, I will see you next week. We'll be back with another trip to the pub. More lols. More stuff to talk about. Send me your messages at HelloStevo on Instagram. HelloStevo podcast on Gmail. And we will see you next week. Peace out. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.